And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's Earl Stanley Gardner's exciting drama, A Life in Your Hands, from 1952. Then, it's part one of a comedy installment of It Pays to Be Ignorant, from 1946. Let me say hello to someone who can attest that it absolutely does pay to be ignorant. My co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up? See, I thought you were talking to yourself there, which right. you do a lot. I do so talk it would to make myself. Sense, so. When you're not around, I just talk to myself all I know. The time. You just talk, 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 talk. <laughs> Hi, Carl. It's great to be What's here. What's going on, Lisa Wolf? Oh, good, Wolf. Carl. And look who's over there. Mike Costello. Mike? Where? Where is he? The whole team is here. Yeah. All right. Well, on this episode, we're going to start things off with A Life in Your Hands. This was a detective series. It was heard on radio in 1949 through 1952, and it was created by Earl Stanley Gardner of Perry Mason fame. A Life in Your Hands uh, presented both sides of a murder case. The truth seeker was Jonathan Kegg, an attorney and amateur detective. He would cross-examine witnesses of both sides to crack the case. It was sponsored by Rally Cigarettes. It only lasted 19 episodes, but it was a very, very cool series as heard on NBC. And we have an episode for you now from August 27, 1952. It's called Blackmailed by a Secretary. This stars Carlton Cadell. Here's part one now of A Life in Your Hands. The National Broadcasting Company presents Earl Stanley Gardner's A Life in Your Hands. Was he dead when you found him? Did he scream? Did you hear the shot? Listen while we place a life in your hands. You never know when you step from the safety of your home when you may witness a violent death and be called upon to testify as to what you saw and heard. Murder is a dark enigma that strikes fear into the heart of man. Strange, baffling, mysterious. But the darkest crime one man can invent, another man can unravel. Such a man is Jonathan Kegg, created by Earl Stanley Gardner, the world's most popular writer of mysteries, creator of Perry Mason, Doug Selby, and other outstanding characters. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jonathan Kegg. Good evening. One day you might be the person who happened to be near the scene of a crime. On what you remember may depend the life of a fellow man. You never know when a crime is going to be committed. Or even now, somewhere in the city, there may be a crime in the making. You look like you had something on your mind, Seth. Some of the boys been bothering you. Your books? The operation's running smooth as silk. Petey, uh, 
is a small personal matter of 15000 remember? Aren't you operating all through the ward? What are you squawking about? Yeah, and I'm paying off every week to make sure I do. Well, then... That 15 G's was a personal matter. Of course it was personal. But I can't pay you back now. I'm in a spot. So am I, Petey. I'll take care of it. After the election, Sid. I need it now. I tell you, I haven't got it. You can't get blood from a turnip. You aren't a turnip, Petey. Listen, don't you threaten me. You want every handbook you're running in this town closed up? That's loud talk, Petey. Things can happen to people who talk too loud. I get out here. Be at your house tonight at nine. For the money. Get out of this car. Petey, don't go getting brave. Might not be healthy. Miss Wells, get me John Maxwell at his office. John can let me have an advance. I... John, this is Petey Grant. Fine, fine, and yourself. Uh, John, do you know that little paving job you were interested in? That's right. Uh, John, I'm in a bit of a hole. I wonder if you could arrange for an advance. No, I can't fix it sooner. No dice, huh? Okay, John... Goodbye. Yes, Miss Wells? So, John wouldn't go for it. That's tough. What do you mean, listening to my phone calls? Take it easy, Petey. How many times have I told you not to call me Petey around the office? There's nobody here but us chickens. What is it? I need some money, Petykins. I told you the last time that you should never... You're never going to get another penny out of me. Now, now, Petykins, remember your blood pressure. Not a red cent. I could have a very interesting conversation with... With Hazel? She wouldn't believe you. I could be very convincing. You're nothing but a dirty little blackmailer. I want $5,000. I haven't got $5,000, Carolyn. Then get it, and fast. So you'd talk to Hazel, would you? Well, go ahead. Suppose I tell the opposition. Hmm. Just more campaign mud. I mean about some of your phone conversations about paving contracts. <laughs> Who would believe you? They'd believe tape recordings of the conversations, Petey. You... you mean... Yes, Petey. I spent $100 for a tape recorder, kept it in the outer office. I've got some buttes. You wouldn't do it. It would ruin me. I don't want to ruin you. All I want is $5,000. But, Karen, I haven't got $5,000. Get it. After the election. I I'm... want it now. Borrow it from your friend Bonden. He's pressing me for the money that I've borrowed to pay you up to now. Fuck your house. I don't care how you get it, but get it. Get out of here, Karen. If you think I won't talk. I said get out. Other smart girls have had accidents before this. You can't scare me. Then you're not as smart as I thought you were. Get out. Now, wait a second. Get out. I've still got friends in this town. You take my advice and be out of town by midnight. I'm leaving, Petey. But no matter what happens to you from now on, remember, you asked for it. Is that you, Petey? Uh, it's me, Hazel. Where are you? In the kitchen, dear. Supper won't be ready for half an hour yet. All right. Would you like a cup of coffee, dear? You look tired. You feeling all right, Petey? I'm all right. Tired. Had a tough day. I'll fix you some coffee. Fix me a drink, will you? Of course. 
What was it? A hard case or politics? What is it ever in this year? I really don't see why you don't quit. Got a good law practice. Eh, it's only because I'm an alderman. Know the right people. You're a fine lawyer and you know it. Here's your drink. I'm a lousy lawyer. If I'm not re-elected, I might as well blow my brains out. Don't talk like that. Hazel, how much do you think we get mortgaged the house for? Mortgage the house? Yeah, I figure we can get about 8000 I can borrow about nine on my life insurance. What do you want with all that money? I've got to have it, that's all. Tell me the truth, Peter Grant. You asked for it. So I'll tell you the truth. You don't have to use that tone of voice. You wanted the truth. Now you're going to get it. I've been blackmailed. Blackmailed? By Karen Wells. How could Miss Wells blackmail you? (laughs) How does a man's secretary ever have a hold over the boss? Did did you do something illegal? (laughs) Yes, Hazel. Yes, I did something illegal. But I had to pay Karen so she wouldn't talk. Was she going to talk to the district attorney? No, Hazel, not to the DA. To you. But why should she talk to... Oh. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Sorry you gave her the money. How much did you give her? Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand dollars? We didn't have that much. That's why I had to borrow fifteen thousand from Sid Bondon. You borrowed fifteen thousand dollars from Mr. Bondon? Petey, why didn't you just tell me? Tell me about that woman. I was afraid. You're not going to pay her any more money, are you? Not a penny, Hazel, not a penny. Well, then why are you talking about mortgaging the house and borrowing on your insurance? It's Sid Bondon. He's pressing me for the 15000 But if you do that, it'll take everything we've got. Sid will kill me if I don't. It's only till after I'm re-elected, and then I can pay it off in six months. What if you aren't re-elected? <laughs> don't worry, honey. Don't worry. I'll borrow on the house and the insurance. I'll get re-elected. I'll pay it off right away. But if something should go wrong, we'd be destitute, Peter. Nothing's going to happen, Hazel. Fix me another drink, will you? Of course, dear. Who the heck could that be? I'll get it. Hi, Petey. Can I come in? Sure, Tony. Sure. Glad to see you. May I have your hat and coat? Thanks. You want a drink? No, thanks. Not right now. Who is it, dear? It's Tony Astio, honey. We'll be in the living room. Come in and sit down, Tony. How have you been, Penny? Haven't seen you for a while. I've been pretty good, Tony. Pretty good. Uh, you and the, the boys? Couldn't be better. <sighs> Ah, nice little house you got here, Petey. Yeah, the missus and I like it. Looks like you got something on your mind, Tony. What is it? You're smart, Petey. Plenty smart. That's what the boys and me like about you. It's my job to be smart, Tony. What is it? Ah, nothing much. Just wanted to have a chat with you. Yeah. I know how often you guys drop in for a chat. Let's have it, Tony. See what I mean? You're smart. They tell me you're going to run again this year. That's right. I wouldn't. What? I said I wouldn't try to get reelected if I was you. But, 
But that's crazy. I've got to have the job. Some of the boys ain't going to like it. They said I should tell you. I tell you, Tony, if I don't, I'll be killed. Might happen, if you try. What do you mean? One of the boys wants the job. You might get more votes. Now, wait a minute, Tony. I've always played ball with the boys. I still will. No dice, Petey. You can't move in on the government. Ah, cut it. But, Tony... No buts, pal. We're running Charlie Mellow on the regular ticket. You get out. We'll take care of you in the lawyer racket. But, Tony, I can't. Maybe you didn't understand me, Petey. I said you get out. If you don't, the boys... I need the money. I'll play ball. I've got to run. Is that it, Petey? That's it. The boys won't like it, Petey. So long. Petey, you haven't eaten a bite of your supper. No, don't bother me, Hazel. Get it off your mind, Petey. You'll feel better. Tony Astio says I can't run again. The boys are going to run their own men. The boys? That's right. The boys, the gang. But that's silly, Petey. You can get more votes than any hoodlum. There's one vote they can cast that I can't beat. It's made of lead. You mean they... they... You've got it. They'd kill me. What did you tell Mr. Astio? I told him I was going to run again. But wasn't that dangerous? Of course it was dangerous. But if I'm not running, I can't mortgage the house or get credit on my insurance. That means I can't pay off Sid Bonden. If I don't pay him, it's twice as dangerous. Gamblers don't like Welchers. What about that... that girl? Don't worry about her. I had a friend of mine in the police department run her out of town this afternoon. Thank goodness. Now, here's the only way to figure it, Hazel. Sid Bonden gave me the nine tonight to pay up. It's 9.30 now, and nothing has happened. So probably nothing will happen until tomorrow. And then? And the first thing in the morning, I'll go downtown and mortgage the house, and I'll borrow on my insurance, and I'll pay them off. But they won't give you the money if they know you're not running again. After I've got the money, then I'll announce my withdrawal from the race. Now, who the... You sit still, dear. I'll get it. You, you fix the coffee. I'll see who it is. Whoever it is, I'll get rid of him in a minute. It's probably Sid for his money. I can stall him off till tomorrow if I promise the dough. You? Yes, me, Peterkins. Thought you were smart burning my tape recordings and getting your tame copper to run me out of town. I told you not to mess with me, Karen. Wouldn't your wife like to hear what I have to say? Get out. I'm letting you get out of town with your health. You bother me once more. And... I'm leaving, buddy. Don't worry about my health. Worry about your own. Was that the woman, Petey? Were you listening? I was worried. I followed you. That girl tried to blackmail me too often. Just once too often. But she did have something over your head. Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. I do love you. And I love you, too, dear. More coffee? Oh, you're wonderful, Hazel. Yeah, thanks. I I will have another cup of coffee. One after that, it's almost ten. Don't answer it. You can't be sure. Go into the front room. If it's someone safe, we'll be able to tell, and then you can come back. Talk up good and loud. I will. from next door. Excuse me, Mrs. Graham, but I saw lights on and I figured you were still up. I wondered if I could borrow a glass of milk. I haven't much left and the children... Why, of course, Mrs. Billings. We have plenty. 
Why don't you take a whole quart? Well, now, that's awful kind of you. If you're sure it won't run you short. Not a bit, not a bit. Uh, good evening, Mrs. Billings. Why, good evening, Mr. Grant. Petey, would you pour Mrs. Billings a glass of milk, please? I want to go upstairs for a minute. Sure, sure, glad to. I'll be back in a minute. Yeah, you sure one glass is going to be enough, Mrs. Billings? Oh, plenty, Mr. Grant. Are you sure you don't want a quart? Well, uh, if you can spare it. Why, of course we can. Here. Well, now, that's right neighborly of you, Mr. Grant. I'll return it tomorrow. <laughs> no, no, no hurry at all, Mrs. Billings. Well, thank you very much. I'll be running along now. Uh, let me get the door for you. Well, thank you. Nice folks, the Grants. Hope I don't forget to return this milk. Never did return the sugar I borrowed last week. Oh, well, he's... He's... He can afford it. Good heavens! Help! Help! My husband's been killed! Sit down, Mr. Keg. Thank you. Now, what is this all about? I don't see any reason for an amicus curiae in this case. The presentations have been quite fair. Well, first, sir, I appreciate your seeing me in your chambers. Now, a lot of this case has been tried in the papers. The whole city has worked up about it. I can understand people getting worked up when a public official is murdered. They should. But sometimes they want a scapegoat. Possibly. But you'll have to give me a more tangible reason than that before I can permit you to serve as amicus curiae. Well, as matters stand now, Karen Wells is almost certain to be convicted. She was found loitering nearby. True, the gun was found on the back porch... But how many women know enough to file the numbers off a gun? How many would choose a weapon as large as a forty-five, Or could hit the broadside of a barn with one from outside the kitchen? The thing I'm getting at, Your Honor, is that no connection between the Wells woman and the murder weapon has been established. You think she's innocent? I believe further cross-examination is indicated. Well, there's not much to go on. Still, it is a point that hasn't been stressed. A human life is at stake, Your Honor. All right. I'll go along with you. All we want to do is get the truth. The court will permit the entry into this case of the well-known attorney, Mr. Jonathan Kegg, as amicus curiae. Mr. Kegg serves neither the prosecution nor the defense, but only the court, in an attempt to arrive at the truth. You may proceed, Mr. Kegg. Thank you, Your Honor. Call Mr. Sidney Bondon to the stand. How much did Peter Grant owe you? Fifteen thousand dollars. You had his note? I gave it to him on his word. Do you usually lend people that much money on an unbacked word? Quite often. I believe you are a gambler, Mr. Bondon. I have various interests. As a businessman, you must know that you can't collect a debt when there is no document to show. I usually collect what's owed me. How? I ask for it. I see. And you had asked Grant for his 15000 For my 15000 Of course. When did you ask him? The morning of the day he died? I believe it was that day. According to previous testimony by Mrs. Grant, you gave him till 9 o'clock that evening to pay up. That's right. Did he pay you before he died? He did not. He died around 10. Tell me, Mr. Bondon, what would you have done if he had refused to pay you? I suppose I'd have asked him again. Then why the time limit of nine that night? Oh, you know how it is. Makes people put out an extra effort to get the money. Scares them a bit. What are they scared of? Just scared. 
Isn't it true that occasionally unpleasant things happen to people who don't pay their debts to gamblers? Are you getting it? Is it true or not? Oh, I've heard of things like that, but... You have heard of people being hurt who didn't pay their debts to gamblers? Well, sure, but you That's all, Mr. Bondon. You may step down. Well, now, you can't insinuate... You may step down. (coughs) Call Mr. Tony Astio. Mr. Astio, what do you do for a living? I'm a businessman. Any interest in politics? Not personally. How do your closest friends earn their living? They're businessmen, too. Mrs. Grant, in her earlier testimony, said her late husband referred to you and your friends as gangsters. He was nuts. He was just scared of his shadow. You visited him the night he was killed? Yeah. So what? The witness will confine himself to answering questions. Did you advise him not to run for re-election as alderman? I might have. Just how did you try to persuade him not to run? I didn't try to persuade him. I just explained that a friend of mine wanted to try for the job. And that if he ran, he couldn't expect the help of me and my associates. Did he agree not to run? No, he said he was going after the job again. Did you threaten him if he ran? Threaten him? Why wouldn't hurt a fly? That's all, Mr. Astio. You may step down. I would like to call the victim's wife, Mrs. Hazel Grant. That's part one of A Life in Your Hands. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to A Life in Your Hands. Mrs. Grant, can you tell us exactly what happened the night your husband was killed? I've already... What is it you want to know? Everything you remember of what occurred. Well, Petey came home for supper around six. He was very tired and depressed. He wanted a drink. I asked what was wrong, and he told me about... about the Wells woman. What did he say about her? He said she'd been blackmailing him. He was going to have her run out of town. What else did he tell you? He said he'd have to pay Mr. Bondon $15,000 he owed him, or Mr. Bondon would kill him. He was afraid of Mr. Bondon? Yes, sir. What did he propose to do about this debt? Well, he talked about mortgaging his insurance in our home. And what else happened? Then Mr. Astio came to the house and told him he couldn't run again. I said that was silly and that he could win easily and... He said they had one vote that he couldn't beat because it was made of lead. Did that seem to frighten him? Yes, it did. He felt that he couldn't get loans unless he was going to be elected, so he planned to borrow the money on the house and the insurance first thing in the morning when everyone thought he'd be reelected, and then withdraw from the race that afternoon. That way he could 
pay Mr. Bond and then still not get hurt by Mr. Astio and his friends. I see. Did anything else happen that evening? Yes, that Wells woman came to the house. She was furious because Petey wouldn't give her any more money, and when Petey ordered her out, she threatened his life. Had you any other visitors before your husband died? No, sir, that was all. Oh. Oh? Did you remember something, Mrs. Grant? Well, I don't think it's important, but if you want everything... I do. Well, a neighbor, a Mrs. Billings, stopped by to borrow a glass of milk. Was this before or after your other callers? It was after. Only a few minutes before Petey was... I understand, Mrs. Grant. You may step down. That'll be all. Thank you, sir. Your Honor, I should like a subpoena issued for an entirely innocent bystander. A person who just happened to be nearby when this crime was committed. I will call anyone you wish, Mr. Kegg, and that person must testify to what he or she has seen and heard. Jonathan Kegg is about to call as a witness a person whose only connection with this crime is that person happened to be near the scene when the crime was committed. Suppose you were that person. Could you remember exactly what you have heard and testify to it under oath? It would be important that you remember, for you would hold a life in your hands. Mrs. Joshua Billings, the Grant's neighbor, has been called to the stand. She has been sworn as a witness and is ready to testify as Jonathan Kegg says. Mrs. Billings... On the night Mr. Grant was killed, you called to borrow some milk? Yes, sir, I did. How long were you there? Oh, a couple of minutes. Was anyone besides the Grants in the house when you arrived? No, sir. Did you enter by the front door? No, sir, I came through the kitchen. That's the room in which Mr. Grant was killed? That's the way I heard it. I see. Who let you in, Mr. or Mrs. Grant? Uh, wait a minute. It was Mrs. Grant. Then you didn't actually see Mr. Grant? Well, I certainly did. He came into the room a minute or so later. And then Mrs. Grant gave you the milk and you left? That's right. No, wait a minute. Mr. Grant gave me the milk. The missus had to go upstairs for something. And you left as soon as you got the milk? Correct. You saw no one else about? Not a soul. What happened after you left? I went home. I was just going in when I heard the shot and the scream. What did you do then? Oh, I kept right on going and locked the door. I have four children. In all that time, you saw no one? Not a soul. Just exactly what did you hear, Mrs. Billings? Just what I told you. I heard a shot. The shot was fired from the back porch through the window. The window was shattered. Did you hear the glass breaking? Oh, sure. Then you heard two sounds. That's right. You heard the glass breaking, then a shot. And nothing more? Oh, yes. There was something else. Yes? Somebody screamed. Then there were three sounds. The breaking glass, the shot, and the scream. Very definitely. By your testimony, Mrs. Billings, we judge that the murderer broke the window, shot Mr. Grant through the hole, and then someone screamed as a reaction to the shot. No, sir, that isn't the way it was. The shot was first. And you distinctly heard the glass break? Yes. It was really a, a separate sound. And it followed the shot? Yes. First there was the shot, then the glass breaking, and then I heard somebody scream. Would you say that these sounds overlapped each other? Why, definitely not. Thank you, Mrs. Billings. That'll be all. I should like to recall Mrs. Hazel Grant. Really, Mr. Kegg, I don't see where this is getting us. If the court please, we've almost finished this case. I assure Your Honor I shall be done in five minutes. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Thank you, Your Honor. Be seated, Mrs. Grant. I have only a few more questions to ask. Your husband believed he would be killed if he ran against the wishes of Mr. Astio's friends? That's what he told me. 
He also believed Mr. Bonded would kill him if he didn't repay the $15,000 he'd borrowed. Yes. You were with him in the kitchen when he was shot? Yes. His back was toward the window. She shot... Now, as I understand it, he planned to mortgage the house and borrow on his insurance to pay off Bonden. That's right. And the only chance he had to get that money back was if he should be re-elected. Yes. And Astio wouldn't let that happen. It seems that if Peter Grant had done what he planned, you and he would have been in bad financial straits. We would have been destitute. Are you destitute now, Mrs. Grant? No. I've got the house and some insurance. Yes, now. Your husband had been playing around with another woman. She was blackmailing him. And it was only through your husband's death that you saved your home and his insurance policy. Yes. Mrs. Grant, why didn't you testify that you had left the kitchen just before your husband was killed? That's ridiculous. I never... But Mrs. Billings testified that you did. And when you left the kitchen, leaving your husband and Mrs. Billings alone, you got his gun, didn't you? A gun that he kept because it could never be traced to him. That's not true. I really can't permit this, Mr. Keg. Your Honor, look at the facts. If Bonden should kill Grant, his $15,000 was gone forever. Astio has admitted his candidate has withdrawn from the race. They both lost by the killing. As for the defendant, Karen Wells, she knew she would be picked up at, and at least booked for blackmail. The only person with a lot to gain, a house and insurance, was Hazel Grant. That's a fine theory. Can it be proved? If the court please, the testimony of our innocent bystander, Mrs. Billings, proves it. She heard the window glass crash a second or two after she heard the shot. If the killer had stood outside and broken the window before firing, she would have heard it first. If he had fired through the window, it would have been close to simultaneous. But with a second or two between the shot and the glass crash, the shot could only have come from inside the kitchen. And only the Grants were there, by Mrs. Grant's own testimony. Then the gun must have been thrown out through the window. I believe so, Your Honor. Mr. Cag, that was a most thrilling case. And what satisfaction you must get from saving an innocent person who is wrongfully accused. There would be fewer of them, Mr. Stone, if all citizens responded to their responsibilities more readily. You're so right. <laughs> but I'm not here to preach. Only to invite our friends to watch for our return to the air. Thank you and good night. Good night. A Life in Your Hands is created by Earl Stanley Gardner with script by Bob McKee, directed by John Cowan. Jonathan Kegg is played by Carlton Cadell, with musical effects by Adele Scott, conducted by Whitey Burquist. This has been a Bell production. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's A Life in Your Hands from August 27, 1952, with Blackmailed by a Secretary. That was a show created by Earl Stanley Gardner's heard on NBC. All right, before we tune into It Pays to Be Ignorant, I want to remind all of our listeners to check out our website at Hollywood360radio.com. That's Hollywood360 
Radio.com. There's a podcast there, right, Lisa? There's a podcast there, one week behind our actual show, and there's our schedule there, so it's really important to know what we're playing. Um, everybody has ideas on what we should play, and that way you can answer all of your questions. Right. There's also pictures of Lisa Wolf there. Yeah, not Don't want to miss that. Yeah, we keep and those sacred. some other fun stuff at our website. Check that out. All right, it's time now for It Pays to Be Ignorant. This was a comedy quiz show came to radio in 1942, lasted all the way to 1951. It was a spoof on such authoritative panel series as The Quiz Kids and Information Please. The satirical board of experts, who are dumber than you are and can prove it, were Tom Howard as the quiz master and Harry McNaughton, Lulu McConnell, and George Shelton. Each episode started with a joke, and then the conversation would go off on all kinds of tangents and insults uh, at each other. It ran on television from 1949 through 51, and then again from 1973 through 1974. Well, we have a radio episode for you now from August 30th, 1946. The first question is, what is a bargain sale? This was heard on Mutual. Here's part one of It Pays to be Ignorant. What is a bargain sale? A place where a woman ruins one dress to buy another. Correct. Pay that man $8. Why do men flirt with waitresses? Because they're playing for big stakes. Correct. Pay that man $9 because... It pays to be ignorant. As living proof to all you servicemen and women listening in over there that it does pay to be ignorant, here's another half hour with radio's biggest collection of zanies, the incomparable wits, George Shelton, Lulu McConnell, and Harry McNaughton, and the man who sticks his neck out every week at this time, our moderator... Tom Howard. Thank you. Thank you, Ken Roberts, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here we are again, ready for another discussion with those disgusting experts in a quiz program entitled It Pays to Be Ignorant. Let me introduce our first expert, a celebrated author, Mr. Harry McNaughton, who has just written a book entitled How to Feed a Horse or Life with Fodder, Mr. Harry McNaughton. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I have a poem, Mr. Howard. I see. I bought my girl some stockings at the local five and ten, and she gave them to her mother. That's the last I'll see of them. <laughs> Very clever, Mr. McNaught. I didn't even get a run for my money. All right. <laughs> Next, we have a woman who has so many wrinkles in her face, when she goes driving, her husband uses it for a road map. You've all, you've all heard of Gravel Gertie? Well, here is her sister, Cobblestone Carrie, Miss Lulu McConnell. You know, Mr. Howard, I'm tired tonight. You are? Yeah, I've been shopping all day. Yeah? I bought some stockings, too. Mm. But i got to take them back in the morning. What's the matter? Don't they come up to your expectations? <laughs> they didn't come up to my knees. I see. <laughs> all right. Next, we have a man whose father was a sculptor, and he's been a chiseler ever since. <laughs> man, a man who can't wear a high hat because he has such a low brow... Mr. George Shelton. No, Miss Gowd, I just got a letter from my girlfriend. I... She's still in the service. That's so. What did she say, Mr. Shelton? What did she say? Oh, nothing much. She said she didn't have anything to write it about because the things she's been doing, I wouldn't like. Oh, you wouldn't like, I see. I wonder what she's been doing that I wouldn't like. All right, <laughs> never mind. Take it over. Now, here's the first question. Let's pay attention, see if we can get an answer. Yes. The Chicago stockyards are in what famous city? 
Oh, Mr. Howard, my, my, my cousin was born in Chicago. Your cousin was born in Chicago yes. before the fire? No, up in the bedroom. Up in the... <laughs> Please, the Chicago Stockyard is in what famous city? Mr. Howard, did you say sock or stock? I didn't say nothing at all about socks, oh. Mr. McNaughton. Hey, how do you like these socks I have on? Oh, please. Oh, I say, Mr. Shelton, they're very pretty, very pretty indeed. One is red and the other one is white. Yeah, and I've got another pair home just like them. One red. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Look, the question is not about socks. I never wear socks. I just paint my legs. Well, the next time you paint them, sand them over first, will you? <laughs> Oh, my word. The question is, the Chicago stockyards are in what famous city? Did you hear the question, Mr. Shelton? Yeah, I just got wind of it. You just... <laughs> what city is famous for the for its meat? Meat? What's that? What's that? No. Don't you know what city is famous for its meat? Hamburg, Mr. Howard. Hamburg, Germany. No, no. <laughs> With onions. Never mind. I'll give you a hint. The city was practically destroyed by fire at one time. Oh, it's too bad, Mr. Howard. How did it happen? Well, uh... Cal kicked over a lantern in a barn and started a fire. Oh, really? No, O'Leary. <laughs> Did you say a cow kicked over a lantern? That's right. A cow kicked over a lantern. What are you looking at me for? <laughs> Let's get back to the question. Mr. Hart, did you say the city was burned? That's right. Now, what city is that? Uh, Rome, Mr. Hart, Rome. Fine. Rome, New York. Rome, New York. That's right, the burning of Rome. It was Rome. How do you know? She carried the water bucket. (laughs) I did not. I was taking a violin lesson from Neil that night. Okay. Say, you know, my brother's house caught fire one day last week. Oh, my word. I'll bet they were burned up. I'll tell you, cut out the puns. Cut out the puns. What famous city is the Chicago Stockyards located in? Well, Mr. Hart, tell me, is it an American city? Yes, it is. Uh, an what American... state is it in? What state? All right, I'll tell you. In the state of Illinois. Is it on the Chicago River? Right. Do they have a baseball team there called the Chicago Cubs? That's right. Is the Chicago Stockyards located there? That's right. Now, what's the name of the city? Wheeling, West Virginia. Ah, Thank you, Harry Slaughter. Now, here is the next question. What musical instrument does a composer have in mind when he writes a piano concerto? Yeah. <laughs> When he writes a what, Mr. Howard? When he writes a piano concerto. You don't write a piano, you play it. Now, wait a minute, then. Well, whoever heard of anyone writing to a piano? Wait a minute. I say, Miss McConnell, tell me, do you have a piano? No, she just has the legs. Now, let's get on here. Well, you you know anything about music, Mr. McNaughton? Do I know anything about music? Rather, I knew Duncan. I knew Duncan before he had a fife. Before... Ah, uh, Mr. McNaughton. <laughs> Mr. McNaughton, you're a moron. <laughs> How do you spell it? I don't know. Oh, then we're both morons. We're both morons. <laughs> what musical instrument does the composer have in mind when he writes a piano concerto? That's the same question you asked us before. Well, give us time. Will you give us time? I demand a 12-day truce. Ah, cut it out. <laughs> good for the soul. It's also good for the heel. <laughs> oh, so you like music, too. All right, never mind. You a piano, Miss McConnell? No, we did have... But it was very old. Yeah. You finally used it for kindling wood. Well, at least you got a few cords out of it. You got a few cords out of it. <laughs> Mr. Sheldon, you should be ashamed of yourself. I think you know, I used to play in an orchestra. Yeah, what instrument did you play? Well, I used to play the viola, but since I've been married, I've been playing second fiddle. 
That has nothing to do with the question. No, what was the question? I uh, told you, please, what musical instrument has the composer in mind when he writes a piano concerto? Mr. Hart, did you know I was a born musician? You were a born musician? Yes, sir. When I was born, I had cliff in my chin, a cord in my neck, and drums in my ears. Now that's enough. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. Well, here is the next question. What famous city is the University of Pittsburgh located in? Is that clear? I've been in Pittsburgh, Mr. Hart. Yeah, but it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear. <laughs> I passed through Pittsburgh, but I went to Kansas City. Oh, you love any place where there's a man. <laughs> is that bad? All right. What famous city is the University of Pittsburgh located in? Well, Mr. Hart, tell me, is the city named after the university, or was the university named after the city? Uh, Mr. McNaughton, that is irrelevant. Yeah, it's what? It's irrelevant. You know what irrelevant means? Oh, rather, yes, and irrelevant never forgets. Irrelevant never forgets. <laughs> Say, Mr. Hart, what is a university? It's a college or a school. Well, which is it, college or a school? Make up your mind. Mr. Connell, if you were a man, I'd slap your face. If you were a man, I'd let you. You're letting <laughs> I, I remember when I went to school, my teacher used to ask me to stay after school every day. Yeah, what happened? That's none of your business. <laughs> you lead your life and I'll lead mine. Okay. You know what else on my report card? You always had two A's on your report card. That's right. One in Harry and one in McNaughton. One in Harry. <laughs> Very clever. Very clever, Mr. McDonald. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Say, now, I got a nephew in college. He lives in a dromedary. He lives... <laughs> he lives in a dromedary. A dromedary is a very odd-looking animal. Big teeth, large feet, two humps on its back. Goes for weeks without water. Yeah, my old man is a dromedary. I see. <laughs> Why, has your old man got two humps on his back? No, but he goes for weeks without water. Uh-huh. The question is, what famous city is the University of Pittsburgh located in? Oh, I don't like that question. Neither do I. Neither do I. I move that we strike it from the agenda. Yes. Wait a minute. We're not taking it off the agenda. You're not? No. Okay. Where you going? I'm walking out. Come on, delegate. Sit down there. Your landlady will owe more room rent, or you'll owe more, rather. Mr. Howard, what is an agenda? Oh, Miss McConnell, don't you know what an agenda is? Yeah. It's a passage in music, you know. It's a sort of a... But it goes like a... Oh, yeah, I thought you'd like it. That's not an agenda, that's a cadenza. What are you talking about? A cadenza, that's milk. Milk? What? <laughs> what do you mean, cadenza's what? milk? My landlady said to me this morning, run down and get me a can of cadenza milk. Ah, cut it out. That's part one of It Pays to be Ignorant. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality 
and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time it's the conclusion to It Pays to Be Ignorant from 1946. Then it's a good action drama on the adventures of Frank Merriwell from 1948. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.